This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK11. And also by Audible, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our alien badges and art prints, featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as he is every week, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, I remember last week you were saving up sleep for a big event that you had over the weekend. How did that turn out? Well, a uh, big weekend. It went great. Had a really good time. Um, Went to uh, a camp outside of, of Dallas here, uh, about an hour and a half away, uh, with some friends, and we served a bunch of people who were there staying at the camp. And really, though, it was it sounds like it would be a lot of work, but it was actually pretty laid back, had a great time. The weather was just perfect fall weather here in Texas, um, and it was wonderful to be outside and just enjoying that. Now, I did play some soccer with some friends, though, while we were there, and um, I did hurt my knee, and so... But I'm okay. Other than that, it was really it was really a great weekend. I had a fantastic time. How about you, Chris? I'm doing pretty well. But b- before I get to that, I have to ask you though: Did you hurt your knee on purpose so that you could get Doctor Crusher to tend to you? Um. Well, yes. And I okay. So I wasn't really playing soccer as uh, I was just doing the <laughs> the Riker lean, and uh, yeah, I, I miscalculated I so. the angles. You know, they have that new shirt. Uh, for the right. Weba Fine contest, and I was trying to get the yeah. angles just right, and I threw up my knee, you know, trying to get that angle just right. You know, it's really hard. And you'll do anything to wind up on Dr. Crusher's bed in sickbay. So, I, I mean, it's true. Everybody knows this who listens to Trek FM. Uh, Dr. Crusher, there's just something about redheads that I just, I'm, I'm shameless. Well, as for me, you know, it's a it's a rainy day here today. It's the kind of weather where you want to stay in bed all day long with a good Star Trek novel and just enjoy the pitter-patter of the rain on the roof and just relax. It's nice and cool. So that's, that's what I need to be doing today. But instead, I'm recording three podcasts today. <laughs> well, goodness, Chris, uh, I guess that means we should probably get some news. And, and speaking of novels... It does look like the uh, the book schedule for 2014 is starting to really fill out, and it's it's looking good. 
Uh, in fact, we were talking about last week that uh, David Mack had, had let it slip that there was going to be a follow-up to Data's story from Cold Equations, and it looks like we have the answer finally to who's going to be writing that. That's right. Yeah, it looks like Jeffrey Lang is going to be pinning this book called Light Fantastic, and this is the data and law-focused follow-up to Cold Equations. Well, and two, uh, apparently uh, Amazon has uh, given us a blurb, and it says that uh, they're going to be continuing the epic story of, of Cold Equations, and you know, Data has now rescued his daughter, Lol, and they must face off against holographic entry James Moriarty, who is determined to acquire android bodies in order to live in the real world and mortal life. So uh, apparently uh, Data is going to be doing his best Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, he's going to be Sherlock in this in this uh, episode of The Next Generation, in this novel of The Next Generation. Uh, so this is really interesting. Um, are, are, are they just going to start having data and law books now? Like, th- that's going to be the title? You know, it's not. It's like Star Trek, data and law. I think so. I, I was just picturing here, if data's going to be Sherlock in this book, does that mean that law is going to be Watson? Apparently, they're just going to be following elementary, you know. Um, yeah. Lucy Liu can be, uh, you know, Watson, which, hey, I'm, I'm a fan of Lucy Liu, so she can do anything. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, Data and Law, a.k.a. Sherlock and Watson, are going to be on the case. Uh, and so I'm really interested in this book because I am wanting to see how they're going to work Data back into this next generation, 24th century yeah. uh, time frame. I, I feel like... You bring data back, you're going to have to do the same thing you're going to have to do with Janeway, which is you can't just, you really kind of need her to be back in Starfleet. You need, you need data to be back in Starfleet or else he, he's a character that y- you you have to create an entire new series for it. It doesn't really make sense. Um, so this is going to be really interesting to see how they kind of play this out. Um, yeah. And uh, hopefully it won't take too many books to get data back somewhere on the uh, Enterprise or I don't know. I, this I I still don't know what you do with data right now um, after cold equations. So I'm very interested to see what Jeffrey Lang's going to do. All right. Well, we will see what happens with that. It looks like that's going to be coming out in July of next year. So you've got you got a good half year plus to wait on that. But you've got plenty of other stuff to keep you busy until that comes out. And we've got a listing now for the first two books in the new Vanguard spinoff series that we talked about a while back called Seekers. And of course, we talked to Dayton about that when he was on the show recently as well. And the first book is going to be David Mack's book, and it is called Second Nature. And then Dayton and Kevin Dilmore are going to be writing the second book called Point of Divergence. And it looks like those are going to start in August of next year. So August and September, back to back, we'll be getting the first two books in the Seeker series. When I thought it was pretty interesting, when they first uh, announced this series, they were, they were just going to do a numbered series. So it was going to be Seekers 1, Seekers 2. And uh-huh. uh, David Mack uh, explained on his blog that the long and short of it is that in the, you know, techno babble industry of you know trying to explain all this is basically this they didn't like the way that that worked for trying to sell a book um and they decided that the books need titles so henceforth the titles that we got here of um second nature and then of course the point of divergence and so i you know 
I'm okay with that. It's fine. It is a little sad, though, because it harkened back to those old Star Trek log books, you know, one, two, three, and, and all those. And so I would have loved to have seen just have Seekers one, two, three, four, whatnot. I thought that's that's kind of well, fun and retro, but... Maybe what they can still do with the cover art, though, is still have the big number. That's And true. then at the bottom, they can just put the title. It's it's kind of maybe like TV shows where you have TV ah, shows yeah. like Star Trek that put the title up on the screen at the beginning of the episode. But you have lots of TV shows, that even dramas, that don't put the title on the screen. But of course, every episode has a title because it, they need it for the purpose of writing the script and they need it when they put out the DVD sets. So maybe it'll be it's a, it has a title, but most people will still just call them Seeker One, Seeker Two. I, I'm sure that the authors will anyway. Yeah, and I think that'll be cool uh, if they do that. I think that would be great. That's uh, a that's a great compromise for uh, the authors and and um, the publisher. And two got a great listing here, just kind of filling out what the schedule does look like for 2014, starting with uh, the Voyager. A book by Kirsten Beyer and uh, ending it looks like sometime in December-ish we're going to get um, Una McCormick and, and David Mack doing a, a TNG book and then uh, Section 31 and so that's a great way to round it out and then of course having the more regular line of ebooks coming out the ebook novellas which is fantastic as well so looks like Star Trek books are going to be going strong in uh, the next year and we're going to have a great mix-up of books here. So Voyager, right. TOS, Enterprise, TNG, uh, Section 31, uh, and the new Seeker series, and of course uh, Lo- The Lost Era with uh, David R. George III. So what a great mix-up of books. So it leaves me really excited as our intrepid reviewer. Yeah, I think that's the key, as we've talked about before, is the fact that next year we are going to be getting that nice mix instead of all the TOS books that we got for so much of this year. Uh, also, we I know you and I are looking forward to, and we will definitely review here on the show as a feature, uh, Enterprise Rise of the Federation Tower of Babel, which will be coming out in April, because I'm really looking forward to seeing where that story goes after we talked about it previously on here uh, with the um, Choice of Futures. Yeah, this is going to be, an, I think, um, an exciting series, and I, I do hope that they'll actually continue it. You know, I, I'm I'm hoping that uh, Enterprise will continue, whether it'll be Christopher L. Bennett that will be doing that or not. You know, I just hope that Enterprise itself does continue, because the storyline that he's setting up here is really, really good. Um, and I'm also just really excited to, to be back with the Enterprise crew. I, they just deserve more voyages and I'm hoping that Pocket will continue to to give it to them. And, you know, uh, the first book that Christopher put out was just fantastic. I can't wait for this one. I think it's going to be great. And so, yeah, let's let's get everybody to get out there in April and, and buy Tower of Babel and, and so that we can get more uh, Enterprise stories because uh, we're definitely probably not going to be getting it anywhere else. Probably not, no. So we'll put a link in the show notes to more information about these over on the Trek Collective. They've got, they've got a whole roundup over there of all this. And the other thing that they have over there as well, Matthew, we were talking about this on the other side of the book. Is that what we're calling it now? The other side of the page? The other side of the book. <laughs> Something like that. Is 
IDW is so confident that this John Byrne photo comic that they have coming out in December is going to be successful that they've already got a second issue underway. You know, um, I was kind of shocked to see this. I felt like that this is something that they would, you know, let's see how this first one does. If people respond to it, if people like it, you know, we'll do more. Um, but apparently they're just going to go for it and uh, it's going to be called Strange New Worlds. And uh, it's, um, it, yeah, I don't know. This is still just a strange idea to me to kind of cut and paste pictures and create a whole new comic. Uh, and I'm really interested to see the first one to see what that's like. And yeah. uh, and so, but hey, they they are pretty confident, so they're gonna they're already in production of a second one. Yeah, well, I feel like if you're John Byrne, you can go and say, "I want to do this," and I want to do X number of issues, and they'll say, "Okay, that's fine. Sounds good to us." You know, you, your name carries some weight, and I don't know. I feel like this is the kind of thing that we are going to have to see in order to make a determination whether it works or it doesn't work, because it does seem like an odd thing on the surface, if as we've talked about before. But who knows? You know, Maybe it'll turn out to be a really interesting thing. He does say here that he would be game for doing an ongoing monthly if he were asked. So I don't know. We'll just see when it comes out. I'm, I am curious. Well, it does seem like it... It wouldn't necessarily be too hard as long as you have access to all of these pictures and you can create plenty of stories that, uh, you know, make you feel just like you're watching an episode because, you know, it's it's literally yeah. just pictures from from the series itself. And uh, so that that's pretty cool. I am just very interested to see how this works and, and looks in, in real life as you're flipping through on an on iPad or you know, at the comic shop. Uh, and if it just doesn't feel like something that I put together myself, you know, by, you know, it, it, you know, that book, Chris, that the stick it book that came out, you know, where you could place the, the characters in the little scenes, uh -huh. you know, that's kind of yeah. what this could, feels like to me. Could you peel them off and like, yeah, exactly. Move, yeah. Move so them around. Yeah. this is kind of what it feels like to me, except it in comic book form. So, or, you know, Chris, you grew up in the South, uh, you know, going to church and you had the flannel board with the picture graphs that fit up on the flannel board. That's kind of what this feels like to me. So so, so you think <laughs> IDW should do flannel boards and market those like you go to the bookstore and you get yes. a big flannel board and it's John Byrne original series characters and you can uh, take it home. It would be fantastic, Chris. It would be like <laughs> it would be like Sunday school with Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That would be I'm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. First issue, the children shall lead. Yeah, you see that. Second issue, Miri. I mean, we could just do the, the classic way to here. Eden. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then there's the enemy within, and everyone gets really concerned. What is going on here? He seems a little evil to me. <laughs> yeah, the, this. Uh, the, I mean, we've got we've got good stuff. The apple. I mean, I mean, all sorts of of great stories you can do here. It feels just like actually is a lot you could work with, yeah. isn't there? So, yeah. um, you know. Anyway, the, the, I think this will be just something that's interesting. I was just a little surprised to see this the other day uh, that they are already going with a, a second comic, but hey. 
hopefully it works out. You know, I do like John Byrne. He's worked on some of the greatest comics out there. I mean, Superman, Star Trek, uh, you know, he's yeah. had a great run as an, as an artist and a creator. So, uh, like you said, if he's got an idea, you let him roam with it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's most definitely earned the right to play around in any format he wants and experiment, you know, and be creative. And so, yeah, let's let's see how it turns out. All right, Matthew, well, that's all we have in news today. But before we jump into the feature where we're going to do some comics for the first time in several weeks, let's tell everyone about our sponsor for this show, Squarespace. Now, Squarespace is the best hosting in CMS that you'll find anywhere that makes it simple for you to create your own blog, website, or portfolio. Or as we've been discussing in recent weeks, an online store with the fantastic new commerce feature. And Matthew, after last week's show, I've been telling everybody about your BajoranSpringWine.com shop that you want to set up. Uh, Shara and I even talked about it on the Ready Room this past week. And everyone (laughs) seems really, really excited about the prospect of getting spring wine from beige or through you so i think you might have a real business going here well the minute that i invent warp drive chris it is going to be flowing like wine uh up in here and so <laughs> i'm just course. really ex- I, yeah i'm really excited about it i, I just have to invent uh, a gateway or some sort of wormhole um find myself some sort of time traveling device i don't know I'm going to need something because getting to Bajor, it's it's kind of tough uh, in an 18-wheeler. Oh, it is. Although that reminds me of Dayton's Ice Road Truckers inspiration. Exactly. Behind. Exactly. So. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. So maybe so. Well, you can figure out the transportation aspects of it yourself. No problem. Maybe Court can even help you with that. But once you do, you know, the storefront is going to be really easy on Squarespace. 30-second merchant sign-up with Stripe gives you instant approval and does not require any paperwork. You can begin receiving money right away. You can handle full tax and shipping rules by region, as well as track outstanding orders, resend customer update emails, uh, print your packing slips. I'm sure there's something special you have to do there if you're going to transport, uh, you know, through space and time, but you can uh, do all of that through the order management interface right there on Squarespace. And if you have existing inventory, maybe maybe Quark already has a business going and he's using Shopify or Big Cartel, has inventory there, you can transfer that right over to Squarespace with just a few clicks. And then of course, you know, if you want a regular blog or website to help promote things, you can easily set that up as well using the fantastic tools at Squarespace. You don't need to know anything about HTML or CSS or any of that stuff. You drag and drop your content blocks onto the page. You focus just on the content. And design is really easy for you as well because they have these beautiful professionally designed templates that you can choose from. You can use them as they are, which they're beautiful. You know, I use one uh, pretty much as it is for my personal blog. And then we have a very customized one that we use for Trek FM. But it's very easy for you to set that up and, you know, tweak it if you want, like we did for Trek FM, and you'll be good to go. Of course, you know, if you want to hire someone who is a an expert in web development and they want to get right there behind the scenes there with your Bajoy and Springwine business and they want to have control over every single line, you can let them use the developer's platform as well and they can have full control, whatever they want. So no matter what your level is with Squarespace, you can design a beautiful website or an online store. 
And the best way to find out how great the service is is just to try it free. You can do that for 14 days. There's no credit card required. And plans start at just $8 per month. If you want unlimited everything, that's $16 per month. And if you want to use the commerce feature, that's $24 per month. And that's a really great deal because you don't have to go pay any third-party service for your commerce capabilities. It's all integrated right there into Squarespace. You just pay a small fee to Stripe for each transaction, which you would with any credit card service. You don't pay anything to Squarespace. So $24 is really the best deal you're going to find anywhere for setting up an online store. Plus, as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts by using offer code TREK11. And if you choose the annual plan, you can get a free custom domain registration as well. Just don't go looking for BajoranSpringWine.com because I'm pretty sure Matthew registered that after last week's show. So go try it for yourself. Go to squarespace.com. Try it free for 14 days. Be sure to use offer code TREK11 to get 10% off your purchase. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks and Trek FM. And of course, you for supporting Squarespace. Chris, we're going to be talking today about some comics, which you had mentioned just a little bit earlier that we haven't done in a few weeks. And Today we're going to be doing some older comics. These started in autumn of 1995 and went through the spring of 1996. And it's Ill Wind by Diane Duane, who has uh, you know written a lot of Star Trek novels and uh, tried her hand at some comics. And I have to say, just right off the bat, for me, Chris, um, the artwork on the cover I love. Um, I'm a huge fan of this cover art. It, it is really, really nice art. Not to mention the fact that ep, uh, issue three features Beverly and Worf. Yeah. Uh, so I was very pleased with that. But uh, yeah, the, it really does. It grabs me right uh, from the get-go, this art. I think it's really well done. And for me, in a lot of ways, you know, um, cover art is is kind of a lost art, I think, a lot of times in, in comics, depending on what you're reading. If you get a really good artist, like, uh, you know, say... a DC artists like Jim Lee, really well known for their their artwork. Um, you might get something like this, but this reminds me a lot of the the new Con series and yeah. um, the artwork you get there, where somebody's actually creating specific art just for the cover. And uh, so yeah, I really like this. It, it grabs me right away. Yeah, they do look like paintings, right? They're they're by Hugh yes. Fleming, and they they really do look like pieces of art as opposed to just comic illustrations. Which is fantastic for me. I, I wish I wish they'd do more of that with the ongoing series. Uh, I really think that um, that would be something that would just uh, really take that series to, to the next level. A lot of times I think the cover artwork for that is lacking. Um, yeah. And so I'd love to see something more like in this style grace some of those covers. But uh, Ill Wind... You know, this isn't this is an older comic series. Reading through the whole thing, Chris, just what were your impressions? I think in the end, I I enjoyed it. It's it has two sides to it. You know, you can read it as just the fun yacht race, which I thought the Federation has a biannual sailing competition. I did not know this, so you can read it that way. But you know, mixed in there, there there is a good thread about going through life and gaining experience and gaining wisdom and looking back 
and having some regrets about the choices that you made and thinking that, well, if I had made different choices, maybe I would have been happier or things would have turned out better. But at the same time, you you're, you feel that way because of the wisdom that you've gained. So there's no way that you could have made those choices along the way. I mean, maybe you make a few of them by chance, but but you are definitely looking back at your life with hindsight. And that's what we see both with Picard here and with one of the main characters who is the mestral of uh, one of the worlds that's involved in the selling competition. So there's there's some nice bits of that in there mixed with uh, a lot of the usual TNG type action and this like kind staff of, meetings and I loved it when he called for a staff meeting. Weird things happening with Troy and that yeah, kind of stuff. Worf Worf wanting to fire warning shots at a yacht that's sailing around a star. Yeah, stuff like that. So yeah. so th- there's a good mix in there for me. Um, you know, it's, I didn't like it as much as some of the, the DS9 comics that we've done. Like recently. Avalon Rising though, as well with, with oh, Voyager. Yeah. Well, the Voyager comic Avalon Rising, you know, when, <laughs> when, Mes- when Mestral comes onto the Enterprise D in this comic, when they have the big banquet before the race and she's wearing her whole get up, I was wondering if she later guest starred in Avalon Rising because she looked like a character that we might see in that comic. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Chris. I, she might have been in the background <laughs> in one of those comics. Um, and I think so. We, just, yeah. Yeah, we might have missed her, uh, which is, I'm going to have to go back and, and revisit then Avalon Rising. I never thought I'd say that, but uh, I guess that's going to happen soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Chris, you, I liked what you said because that's the thing that I got out of this comic series. But... The thing that just struck me from right from the beginning, we're having this yacht race uh, with, which is basically uh, solar sailors like uh, Benjamin Sisko made. Um, yeah, it reminded me of that. Except a little yeah. more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, yes, the Federation does have a, a yearly yacht race. Um, how you decide, you know, I guess you have the star dates. Uh, whose year to go by, I don't really know, but it's Star Trek, so we just let that go. I thought about um, that too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, the thing that I just, I cringed right away, and they did this with on The Next Generation a lot, I felt like, um, and specifically with any of the characters, they would all of a sudden just have a hobby or something that they loved, but they had never <laughs> yeah. talked about before until that episode. Right. And this yeah. happens big time with Picard in this, and it just really bugged me because <laughs> Picard apparently was a solar sailor back in the apparently. day and yeah. um, really loved it and thought about pursuing it, and now he can't do it because the Federation and Starfleet won't let him uh, because it's too dangerous for somebody of his you know caliber as captain to be doing. And it just – it really struck me wrong – that, you know, you would just all of a sudden make, you know, Captain Picard in love with solar sailing when, you know, we already know he does things like he likes to ride horses um, and, and things like that. But it's just it's it, it just struck me wrong. And so the the lesson that you kind of get from him yeah. was great. But I was left with like, really, really, Picard is a solar sailor, too. Um <laughs> I thought that was a little bit odd as well, although I think what Diane might be picking up on here 
if you want to look for some justification for this, is that this was written in the year following the release of Generations. And in Generations, ah, we true. have the scene at the beginning where they're out there on the Enterprise Clipper on the ocean and Picard and Riker have that conversation about, you know, how great it would have been to be out there sailing the seas. But at the same time, that wasn't necessarily that it was a hobby of Picard's that he wanted to sail ships. There was that one scene, so eh, kind of maybe, but but you're you're definitely right where often characters will have unknown hobbies just because it makes a story possible. And I guess certainly, you know, people have many hobbies and you're not necessarily going to learn about all the interests of a character over the course of a series because you've got all these different characters. But it does come off as convenient. There's no doubt about that. Well, and... You know, it, it it struck me kind of wrong too because our obviously um, at this point, explorers has happened on DS Nine, and we've already had yeah. Captain Cisco. You know, he wasn't into solar sailing, but he is a shipbuilder. We already knew that because of the Defiant. Yeah. Um, and his his work at um, you know, before going to Deep Space Nine, so they'd already built that in that he was somebody who. It was into this kind of thing, and it it fit very organically then to have him kind of get obsessed with something of Bajor, and it really connected him with with the Bajorans and 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 his you know role as emissary would kind of play into that a little bit. So that made a lot of sense, you know. And uh, I I understand you know Picard being an archaeologist and somebody who likes older things and all that, so that made sense, but. Um, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I think partly because I'd already seen this with Benjamin Cisco, and it's like, right. dude, back off Cisco's thing, you know. Um, <laughs> you, you're yeah. you're you're a horse riding man. You, you you like your archaeology. You like to sleep with Vosh, you know, in in caves. Go do that, and, and let you know Cisco have his thing. Yeah, <laughs> get off the Cisco. <laughs> Just name the show, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Get off the Cisco. <laughs> so, yeah, I know what you mean. But I also thought at the beginning that just the idea, uh, and I, I guess it, I don't know, did it feel really TNG to you that the whole plot would start with the idea that there are, that there is this race going on. I, I think what it reminded me of, two things. On The Next Generation, it reminded me of the price where they're selling the bars on Wormhole and they have all these different races that come there to bid on the Wormhole. And also it reminded me of the original series, Journey to Babel, where they have the big banquet and they have all the diff these different races there. And then, of course, you've got the Tellarites and the Andorians who are enemies of one another and you've got the same thing going on here where you've got these two different races the sock and the loharan who are also enemies of one another and you know all hell breaks loose between them so well and yeah this is a very tng thing we are going to send the flagship of <laughs> <Right>. the federation <laughs> to monitor this one woman 
who's a solar <laughs> sailor from a planet who's a part of the Federation just so we can protect her because she's been threatened by assassins. So the only ship that can do that, it's got to be the Enterprise. Right. You know, not let's send but, the hood or, you know, I mean, the, right? I mean, crazy the horse. You or yeah. I mean, come on, uh, yeah. the the Belliforn, any ship other than the Enterprise, we're going to send the flagship because that's the most important thing happening. <laughs> well, wouldn't you send like the crazy horse? It's like an old Excelsior class ship that's exactly. about to be put in to be decommissioned because you mentioned the part about the fact that she has been threatened with assassinations on her homeworld. But we don't learn that until later. So at the beginning of this, it feels like we're going to send the flagship of the Federation to monitor a solar cell race. There's nothing else going on in the galaxy that needs their attention. They're just going to watch these solar cellers, make sure they don't do anything that's uh, you know that would violate the rules of the race. And that was the thing I think about the <laughs> the, the the comic. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. I I think that, that it's a it's a decent story. It would have been an interesting or, or kind of fun, I guess, um, next generation episode. Uh, it would yeah, have been very, would have. Yeah. you know, uh, it would have fit in perfectly in that kind of fourth season, uh, TNG. Um, but th- as a comic book, it, it was just kind of the lackadaisical. I think the only things that really take advantage of the comic book are some of the aliens they create for the races, uh, and right. then, of course, the very end where they have the big, huge reveal of what's been going on with this star that this, they've been racing close to. Which felt like another TNG story. Oh, my God. That just was wedged into the end. It's like we have this whole other story. Ugh. Oh, oh, by the way, wait a minute. There is a new life form. Troy's feeling tired. Sleepy. <laughs> not tired. I'm sorry. She's not feeling tired. She's just feeling kind of sleepy. Captain, I'm feeling kind of right. sleepy. Um, and, and when I was reading that, I was thinking, you know, I feel like Troy all the time. In fact, when I walk outside recently, I feel really sleepy all the time. And so what Mm -hmm. I did is I went to the optometrist and I got new glasses because my left eye was just not clear enough anymore. And it made me feel sleepy when I'm out walking around because everything was kind of blurry. Troy never gets new glasses in this comic. I don't understand what's going on there. Uh, that or I mean, just give the girl a sedative and or some chocolate. Let her overdose on some chocolate and fall asleep. You know, I. But you know, on page four of the first issue, you're talking about how some of the the plot lines kind of, you know, you've you've seen this before, right? In the bottom corner of page four, that frame, Picard and Riker are going on and on about uh, craft design and such. They're just putting Troy to sleep. She's just dozing off. Sitting yes. right over there next to them. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, 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 yeah. I think I think one of the things that you know I, this is a this is a good and interesting kind of storyline, and it definitely fits. I think with that uh, later '90s mentality of comic um, books, where they they don't necessarily know how I guess to take advantage fully of their medium I, I feel like in in some ways um and kind of mirroring too much the the format of the episode instead of kind of telling you, you could do something more and mm-hmm. and i i think the problem that i kind of had with it is this that the comic itself really borrowed too much from all the stuff that had already happened on the next generation so yeah. i can just say 
you know, I would get to a scene and be like, oh, this has happened here in the price or oh, this has happened here in another episode. Luckily, I didn't go anywhere near Sub Rosa in this comic, but, um, (laughs) you know, you would just pick out and choose. Okay, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. And it just felt like it had been all put in a blender and turned into this comic instead of being something a little more original, which you would kind of hope for. When you're reading a, a comic of a of a um, of a series that you've seen, um, yeah, you don't just repeat kind of the the motifs that you're getting. And and like you said, generations had just happened not too long ago from this. And some of the things Picard's dealing with feel very reminiscent of that. But they're not really building they on do. generations. They're just kind of rehashing right. some of the the feelings I feel like that he had from that. Uh, it's a- kind of you know, making it a building block. Yeah, it's very similar, but it is a completely separate thing. And it takes place during the series prior to Generations. And when Picard had that struggle in Generations about Renee's death in the fire and Troy comes in and talks to him, it was a big moment really because we had not really seen Picard be emotionally exposed that way on the series itself. But what we're seeing here is very much the same thing. And, and, and Troy even comes in and talks to him about those feelings that he's having where he is looking mm-hmm. back at the choices that he made. Yeah. Well, and and two, you know, for at least generations, you felt like it was a nice building block because you had just had all good things where Picard had finally integrated himself with the crew. You know, he had grown to right. that point. And, and so by the time you got to generations, this Picard was going to be a little different, you know. And so when he has that scene with Troy, you feel like it's been earned. You know, if you read this comic in continuity with where it should be, it's not really an earned scene for those two. Um, you, they don't really have that. I don't feel like they're as close as they were till after All Good Things. And so yeah, I, think I feel like that might have been a conversation he would have had with Riker, not Troy specifically yeah um, because, or he would have definitely had that conversation with Guinan Guinan or or he could have even had that conversation with Beverly uh it would have made more right. sense in this series for him yeah. to do that too so uh anyway you know it, but but it is Troy's job on the ship what she's doing is that she's is true. actually doing her job yeah which, which we rarely even though see she's her sleepy do. even though she's sleepy although Beverly says that although Troy is sleepy all the time in the she's story. not tired. She's not tired. She's sleepy. And all it takes is just a, a moment of effort for her to concentrate on something else. And she's not sleepy anymore. I wish that that happened for me around two thirty, three o'clock every afternoon. Oh, goodness, man. <laughs> Apparently being a beta Z is, is even half beta Z is just fantastic because you can just shake yeah. off sleepiness. Um, right. Yeah, you don't even need a Red Bull or, or a coffee or something like that. No, you just That's concentrate real quick on whatever it is and you're better. So, Right. All right. So, well, that's the setup of the story. And as we go through the first episode here, I call it an episode, the first issue here, first part. Uh, you know, we find out it's mostly details about the race. It's very much setting up the story. I didn't feel like we really got into anything meaty in terms of dialogue or depth to the story until we got into the second issue. But we no, did find out about all the different races yeah. that are going to be participating. And what's funny is that Picard has this whole, like, flirtatious relationship with this Mestral. And then you find yeah. out she's married. And I was like, 
Well, I that just destroyed half of where they could have brought this, you know, relationship. It could have been something for the comic series, and then she's married. And but they really write this as that they are really connecting, and you know, it could have been a great thing for the comic series to kind of give them Picard a, you know. A Kirk moment where he meets somebody and they fall in love and then she has to go rule her planet and he has to go fly off in his spaceship. But but no, no, Picard likes to chill with the married ladies. <laughs> chill, with, chill with the married <laughs> ladies. <laughs> but you're right. It was, it was reminding me a lot, especially as we got to the end of it, it was reminding me a lot of Anish in Insurrection. Yes. And the connection that he had with her. And I was almost expecting him at the end to tell her, of course, this was written before Insurrection, but I was in my mind expecting him to say, well, you know, I've got 7,000 days of shore you <laughs> saved up. Maybe I'll come visit your world and sail the solar winds with you. Yeah, it did not happen. Uh, and so, uh, and then this was the other thing that it happens, Chris, is at the very end of the first issue, you get this device planted on a um a ship here and it just again you know it felt oh goodness it just felt so early tng um to yeah, have it was a very tng know. thing yeah yeah i i did like how they found the guy though and and that they they were able to play back the sensor for that area he will figure out that somebody had been shrouded in some sort of yeah. special suit and everything. I thought that was very cool and using the holodeck to recreate the sensor material. So very CSI-like, um, very yeah. smart, kind of the ways you might feel like uh, that you would use the holodeck when you were recreating uh, a crime scene and that kind of stuff. So that was fun. Although we do learn that the sensors in the corridors on the Enterprise-D really suck. And the sensors Apparently. in the shuttle bays are quite good they have hd yes. in there yeah. yes exactly um only standard equipment in the in the corridors it's way too expensive yeah. for the federation even though they don't use money uh to to uh, equip with high res sensor equipment but in the shuttle bays it's very important i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> there's no answer for that <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's because of sensing um you know, material that might accidentally come through a force field or something. I don't know. Uh, it's something like that, I, I guess so. So we also, a couple other things in issue number one here. Uh, we talked about the connection that Picard seems to have with Mastral. And I noticed the point at which Picard started getting turned on, and that was when she started quoting Byron. This is true. Uh, she immediately... <laughs> quote something literary and Picard is all over that like a bag of chips uh he is yeah uh I thought it was very interesting to um that a woman how come it is that people from other planets always know our literature just as well or even better than we do um so Klingons quote Shakespeare you know these aliens quote Byron or or she said normally uh for her uh, it would be like Homer or, you know, some of our other great poets uh, and writers. What is that? Do they not have their own literature? That it just is, is Earth like the standard literature for the, the galaxy? I don't know. I guess it's like, um, you know, like here on Earth, if you go to Europe or 
pretty much anywhere in the world these days, you find lots of people who speak English.、Uh, if you go in the U.S., you don't find so many people who speak French or German or Chinese or anything. So it's like everyone outside is is studying that language, just like. In Star Trek, everyone's into exo literature. Everyone like they they love, they love the literature of Earth. It's um, it's like that book Year Zero where the aliens love Earth music, and but then they they realize that they owe Earth an unreasonable amount of money in royalty fees. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. Anyway, so kind of moving off <laughs> in, into to. Can I ask、here? you one more thing though before、oh, sure. we go to issue two? There is that point where they mentioned that there was a previous incident where the Tajang ambassador once got stuck in the aft convenience, and apparently Troy liked this. What's the aft convenience? You got stuck in the aft convenience. What is that?、Mm, the、uh, I don't know the nice name for the bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> oh, the bathroom. Okay. Yeah, that's my guess. I guess so. Yeah, they just have the one off on the corner of the bridge. Yeah,、right? yeah, it, it's yeah. why it's you never it's see people go to the bathroom. Of the view screen, that must be exactly. What they mean. There yeah. you go. Okay, yeah, it's it's、now. back there by the <laughs> observation lounge for when the meetings are running really long, but you gotta go. So, <laughs> one more thing, artwork wise, on page twenty one, there's that scene in Ten Forward where you've got、uh, these two different aliens.、Uh, Talking to each other over by Guinan's bar, and the way they're drawn on that page, I just thought that the Pokemon had come to race because it's, <laughs> it is like the ship has been invaded by all sorts of Pokemon. Here, yeah, this this comic again, it it has all the sensibilities of of earlier comics in that way, and the aliens are are. Oh, let's make a Hawkman, or、uh, let's make a ant octopus person, or a cat person, <laughs> or you know, I just it's it's very funny. So, yeah. Now you do get into the second issue, which is it's really funny.、Um, is that the 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 second issue is all about just the race, you know?、Um, now the Enterprise does find the device that had been put on one of the solar sailors. Mm-hmm. And is able to use their tractor beam to whip it off that ship, and then somehow the tractor beam can also throw things in space, and it throws it off <laughs>、right. and blows it up. Which, it's like <laughs> I've never seen that、uh, that available.、Um, in yeah, it's、so、very was, surgical. You can、exactly. focus a tiny thing and then fling it. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Apparently, the tractor beam is so much better than we thought it was. Um, It's really amazing technology. So、yeah. we end up with with them having to try fig- trying to figure that out.、Um, and honestly, I'd have to say that issue、um, issue two is pretty boring. Not a lot happens. Now the the biggest part is what you talked about, Chris, which was that whole idea of、uh, Mestral and and Picard talking about life choices and where they are and how they're both struggling in some ways with just the the ways that their life choices have kind of shackled them 
and, and kind of taking away some of their freedoms that they might like to have. Um, you know, this for her, it's dangerous. She shouldn't probably be sailing in this solar race, but she's going to do it anyway. Picard kind of lamenting the fact that he can't be doing the solar sailing because he is a captain and Starfleet frowns upon that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that the reason that they gave Picard this hobby here is because with Mestral, it's not just that she's sailing in the solar race, because that's what I was thinking at first. I mean, what, you're the leader of two billion people. Why are you in the race? But then we learn that she actually is a racer, and then she had to become the leader because she was next in line when her father died. And so she's been taken away from what she loves, which is racing. So I guess they had to give Picard the same hobby so that he could associate with her and how she's feeling and they could have their, oh, they won't let me race anymore discussions. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I completely get it. It, it makes, it makes sense. And it, it does make for, uh, an interesting growth for Picard or at least some kind of insight into Picard. But I just feel like this kind of thing could be done better with, with the tools that we already have from the series of what we know from him. So it's just yeah. kind of making something up, but it is right. it is good. It's it's it, I, what she's trying to do here is is a good thing. Uh, the other thing that was really big is just the fact that um, the sun that they are racing around, basically Andrew's star, exactly is 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 very erratic apparently, and um, it, it, so we learned that the. We've got some solar flares happening, which aren't quite normal, apparently, although data is not sure because the star hasn't been studied a lot. And so kind of planting the seeds for what's going to happen next. And then, of course, we get the big revelation, the biggest one of the book of this whole series. Troy is sleepy. (laughs) That's right. So that is the thread that ties everything together. In the yes. series, Troy is sleepy. In every issue, she's sleepy. So if you're looking for continuity, there it is. And it's good. It's really good. It's really well done. Um, so, <laughs> Did you also notice here, you talked earlier about the different aliens that they come up with for here. Did you notice that apparently the, the little guys that play the oboes in the cantina band in Star Wars are participating in this race? I saw that. Um, I was thinking that there was going to be a musical number in here. I was a little <laughs> right. disappointed. I was waiting for some nice John Williams space jazz to be happening. Um, mm-hmm. That did not. So, um, yeah, this this issue to me was like, uh, okay, you're just you're kind of you're not really doing enough with the story to keep me all that invested. And so, luckily, 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 we get to issue three and. Um, well, Beverly's on the cover, and she actually features <laughs> prominently in this issue, and therefore I was re-engaged. Uh, and as so, soon as I, I I started issue three and I saw that cover, I said Matthew's gonna like this one. Because uh, and Beverly. I did so. <laughs> the the last thing about issue two, as we go into issue three, though, another revelation, something that we learn after they determine who the saboteur might be. They, they go to Picard with the information, and I learned that clearly Captain Picard could never be the news director at any cable news network because he actually wants to wait until he can verify 
that the information is accurate before he acts on it. Can you believe that's crazy? Well, not only that, but I, what I loved about Picard here is that he really is just going to let these people hoist their own petards. And uh, I, I, I love that. Uh, that was one of my favorite moments in the comic was just that Picard's like, nope, nope, we're, we're not going to say anything. Uh, we're just going to let this play out. If they win, they'll be disqualified, so it'll look even worse for them. So Picard was just a little vindictive, um, and uh, I really liked that, actually. So, Unless someone threatens Mestral, and then then he's going to take action. Oh, it is on. And and that's what I <laughs> was, was so interesting is that throughout the whole thing, you get this feeling that Picard is very much into her yeah. in, in a different way, and yet she's married, and so... It really ruined a whole part of the storyline for me. It could have been unrequited love or it could have just been, you know, the the very much like the the it could have been like insurrection, um any of those kind of things. Could have been a really interesting storyline and really kind of kicked up what they were already doing, which is this fact of kind of getting into Picard's psyche um with with wanting to have some things that he um can't have as a captain. And love for him has always been one of those uh, having a hard time with. So uh, I just wish that maybe they had gone there and, and they didn't. And I was just disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so we move into issue three, as you were saying. And uh, the race is really on now. It's in its 25th hour. It's 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 like a NASCAR race that lasts for days um, there's, there, there isn't even the joy of the rumble of the engines because you can't hear anything in space. So it's kind of boring. I, I think this is where, what I was saying to you earlier is just this comic, um, it's not bad. It's not terrible or anything like that. It's not poorly written. There's none of that. It's just kind of boring. It's like one of those next generation episodes that you might pop in and you're like, oh, I fell asleep halfway through my rewatch um you know yeah. because it wasn't anything super interesting that happened and i think maybe just part of it was just that troy kept talking about how sleepy she was and so it made me sleepy so comic writers don't talk about how your characters are sleepy every few pages <laughs> because it'll probably just make your reader sleepy <laughs> yeah so so we we move in Anyway, and the the big thing for me in issue three just came uh, pages 12 and 13, where, as we were discussing earlier, there is the scene with Picard and Troy, where they really talk about what's going on and the feelings that Picard is having. And he says, it's not so much about mortality, but of missed opportunities. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting just because she talks about, you know, the idea that it's kind of scary for her to hear him talk like this and him kind of saying that, um, you know, he really understands what she means. It's kind of scary, I think, for him to be thinking like this. And um, I, I think, though, that this is a this is probably the best part of the comic, and, and it's, a, it's a, a good conversation because... I think we can all think back to those things that maybe we thought we wish we would have done or we wish we would have done right. differently and mm -hmm. how all that works out in our lives. And yet in the end, you know, we really 
can't worry about those things. Um, we need to learn the lessons and then move forward and, and not get mired in the past. And Star Trek is good at about reminding us of that. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is the the core of the story for me. And as I was saying at the beginning, it's uh, later in here, they'll talk about wisdom as well. And uh, I think we all, especially as we get older, we look back at those at those choices. The other thing that we gain out of this comic, though, is the idea that there are always new doors and new opportunities as well. So you can look back at those things that you might want to change. But then, you know, new pathways open themselves up. And sometimes, you know, those are very exciting things as well. And so as you're saying, like, we can't dwell on those. We can't uh, get caught up with it. And... Uh, that's where this this scene and then what comes next with Picard and Mestral, uh, the things that happen to to her, uh, I think uh, take the story to a point where e- even though you know we talk about Troy being sleepy all the time and these other elements, uh, at the end of the day for me I can gain that out of this. Well, and then the the end of three is where the big action finally takes place. Um, yeah. It's a coup de yacht. It, that's right. The coup de yacht. <laughs> I like it. The assassins finally come for Mestral. And luckily, her husband is there. He helps stop them. And then he turns on her as well. Because yeah. you know what? He's just sick and tired of her having to be the leader. And the way that yeah. it's making him feel. Talk yeah. about an 80s issue. Like... <laughs> Man, goodness, they really do need some counselor, Troy, don't they? Yeah, it's like he's saying, you know, I'm really tired of you as a woman <laughs> having a job. I don't like it. You should be home with me all the time. So I'm going to hold this phaser to you until you agree to quit your job. That's what it felt like, right? Um, I don't think it just feels like that, Chris. I'm pretty sure it that's exactly that. just what he's saying. So, um, Except that it's... That's his personal feeling, but he is also speaking. He's trying to help those factions who really do want her to be ousted as their leader. Which, you know, he's using it all for his selfish gain because I, yeah. uh, which I thought was interesting because she talks about uh, there that, you know, you knew that this was going to happen to me. You knew that I was going to be made the leader um, when you got married to me. You knew that was going to happen. And so. It, this shouldn't be a surprise. And so luckily, though, uh, she is really quick. And uh, even though he has stunned her in this fourth issue, she is able to shake that stun off. And and he tries to shoot her again. She dodges the phaser blast and then knocks <laughs> him on his butt. This woman is awesome. No wonder Picard is hot for her. Um <laughs> And so, luckily, Riker and Data and Crusher are able to beam over to her ship and save her. But that's not before the sun starts to go crazy again. And, and no, I don't. I don't mean Jesus, not that sun. The sun that they've been orbiting on this, you know, <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this yacht race, and they're unable to beam back. Uh, and so. That creates that great dilemma in the next generation. Of course generation. they're unable to be. Exactly. When we got to that point where they say, well, you know, the, the solar activity is going to make the transporters unusable. I'm like, okay, this is, 
It's always the case, right? Anytime you yep. need the transporters, something in the environment makes mm -hmm. them not work for the convenience of the story. Yep. Uh, and, of course, we needed a space battle, so the people that were coming to pick up the assassins uh, finally arrive. There's a space battle that happens as well. Um, of course, Riker and Data and, I believe, Crusher as well, right, are over mm -hmm. On yep, the yacht, the solar trying to fly it. I think what if that yacht had a joystick that would pop up out of the dash, mm -hmm. I think Riker would have been able to fly them to safety. Probably. I mean, he would have just propped yeah. his leg up on that chair, you know, next yeah. to that, that joystick and just gone to town. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because I may have just missed it. Maybe I was so mesmerized by Troy being sleepy on every other page that I missed this, but... When when they're on the yacht, it, it's it's Mestral, it's Rav, her husband, and everything seems normal. And then suddenly someone comes on and shoots her, and they yell, Venet! I wrote, who the hell is Venet? That was random. And then we find out, she says, oh, my oldest bodyguard, the person I trusted the most, has shot me. Did we see Venet earlier in the story? Because it just felt like it was just out of nowhere on her own ship. Someone suddenly comes in and shoots her. You know, I believe we did earlier on in the comic, and it might have just been a real quick thing. Um, a real quick they, thing that you didn't even notice, right? It, it, pretty much. I mean, it it, it was so quick, you really, yeah, you didn't even notice. So, yeah, I, that was one of those deals where I was a little bit, uh, yeah, oh, goodness, Okay, that's fine. Let's just okay. move on. Trouble on the yacht, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we get to that in the end, too. I mean, the ship itself, the solar sailor that they're on, um, cracks open, and they're all about to be out, whooshed out into space, and apparently the transporter works again, so they're all fine. For four seconds. There's a four-second exactly. window. Exactly. That, that and then, and then... The whole story turns itself on its head because we can't be done yet because we <laughs> right. need something else. Uh, we need this to feel like a counter at Farpoint. Yes. Where, nope, nope, yeah. the sun is being used by some sort of alien to hatch itself and turn itself into an energy being. And it's all beautiful. And then the end, everything's okay. Picard is fine. Troy's not sleepy anymore because the hatchling that hatched uh was affecting her um through the great energy it was producing from the sun and mestral is going to go back home without or at least with her husband in custody and yeah. uh picard doesn't even say whether he'll visit no he doesn't like i said i nope. thought he was going to tell her how many days of shore leave he had saved up but yeah he, didn't, he so. just quotes byron yes extensively yeah, which is great. I mean, it's a great poem. I I, I really love the poem. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. But uh, so then he just looks longingly out the window, and they both go off in their own directions, and that's the end. Yeah, that's that. So, yeah, like you said, the ending it reminded me very very much of Encounter at Farpoint, or you've got cases like Gome Two and Tin Man, the spaceship that mm -hmm. was alive yep. and from another galaxy, because they say here that this creature, which is really a Pokemon, I mean, this thing that's it born is a Pokemon, is, and I didn't even play Pokemon, totally Pokemon, but it's a Pokemon. <laughs> it, it is. So, Andrew's star is definitely a Pokemon breeding ground. Definitely. <laughs> but, they, but they say that this creature is, it's heading out of the galactic plane, so it's also going to leave the galaxy. So, 
I don't know. I think, you know, the the quoting of Byron at the end, I think highlighted for me sort of the strengths and the weaknesses of this story. As a pure story, I think the weakness is that there's a really good concept behind this in this story about choices, regrets, wisdom, looking back, and also opening new doors, new horizons that you can go down in life, and that life is always a journey. You can't change the choices that you made in the past, even though with the wisdom that you've gained, you see them and you think that maybe you could have done better. At the same time, there's always a new horizon to explore. And that's all there. And then, you know, they, they, they quotes Byron and he quotes his poem, but so much of there's the yacht race and there's the sleepy Troy. And there's the, we didn't even talk about the alien race, the two different species that look like Gorn. Uh, yes. They hate each Gorn. other. Bec- yeah. Because they hate each other because one race has four gill slits and the other race has six gill slits. And ah, uh, yes, we didn't even Classic. talk about them. I There's do so hate much those of this stuff in here. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> four. I mean, geez. You know, four is an unlucky number in Japan because four is pronounced she, which sounds like sheen, which means death. So it's it's like 13 in the U.S. It's an unlucky number here. So, I mean, if you've got four gill slits, I, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going with the six <laughs> slit, guys. Because I know I'll be safe oh, then. Man. So. But but at the same time, in terms of a strength, I think that it's very much like the next generation. It's it's there are so many next generation stories that they do have these great moments of social commentary. They do have mm-hmm. these things that you can pull out of them that make you think. But they're almost always mixed in with these yacht race diplomatic crises type situations that are more mainstream sci-fi. And so in that respect, I mean, it is a next generation comic. And so I think that as a TNG comic, it probably has a pretty good mix of those elements that are true to what TNG is. Yeah, it definitely feels like a TNG episode. It feels right, like it fits in a season four, um, you know, episode. And, and so for that, it's it's, it's great. It it has the kind of uh, some of the goofiness too of a, of the original series to it with just the kind of the alien looks. Um, you talked about the the, the um, journey to Babel uh, kind of references ideas. You know, having the big party in ten forward, all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, it has all the classic tropes of a next generation episode with staff meetings and uh, weird re- um, energy readings. Uh, Troy having weird premonitions, that kind of stuff. So it does, it works really well. And I think for that, you know, that's one of the reasons too, I can give it a pass. You know, I honestly, in a lot of places, I think the character artwork in here is actually pretty good. I really enjoyed that. I felt mm-hmm. like all the, the TNG characters all look like their character every time they're on that part's really well done. Uh, and of course the cover art. So, you know, if I were, I don't know if we, we really been rating uh, comics recently but you know out of 10 i i might give this hmm i might give this six out of 10 sleepy troys okay yeah that's pretty good 
I'd probably give it... Yeah, I'll probably go with six as well. I'll give it six random assassination attempts. Oh, excellent. Mm, that's a good yeah. rating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ill Wind has been a lot of fun, Matthew, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trekka Film this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm. Standard Orbit. Trek versus computers. Like there was some kind of salesman going around selling this... this life-controlling model it's, it's like the iMac you know everyone had an iMac back in 1999 or whatever it was right the Bondi Blue Landrew Earl Grey Data I think the only other time we see Data in red is uh, I think in one of the parallel jumps in parallels yeah. I think it's Future Imperfect maybe With that funky combat is, is Data in red kind of like the song Lady in red <laughs> Data in red <laughs> The Orb Majoran prophecies. <laughs> well, you um, know, I was thinking that Haran was probably not so much a prophet as a Bajoran songwriter who just wrote really bad lyrics. The Ready Room. Ready uniform. Because, I mean, I right. didn't see Eddington feeling he was the bad guy in this. Oh, he no. was doing what he believed in, yeah. where I think Cisco seemed to me, you know, he definitely started to white whale on this. To the journey! Samantha and Naomi Wildman. She acted like a normal kid, except extremely yes. smart. Yes. Yeah, granted, even though she was incredibly bright, because all Trek kids are, they're extremely advanced in the 24th century, she wasn't annoying like Wesley. Commentary, Trek stars. The Black and Cushman interview. Gene didn't really delve into anything with any depth. He, I think he played the cards very close to his vest. He knew what he wanted, and he made sure he got it. And that's why he rewrote writers, and he, he, that's even why he rewrote me. Warp 5. The Temporal Cold War. But as you say, with with Archer, or Future Guy, if we were to assume it's Archer, he's not just making you know, changes on, on a small detail or trying to recapture. You know, in Anorax's case, it's, it's getting his wife back. Right. Um, he's looking to completely change the course of, of history on a much broader scale. Trek News and Views. The Data Network. With the Data Network, I wanted something that the Star Trek fans had already there. They didn't need to do anything. They just had to come along and be the Trekkie selves. Literary Treks. Warned Ivory. Yeah, I thought that that was great that they finally explained that question that you had had, why there are no gateways uh, within uh, the Bajoran system and that that's not necessarily true and that the fact is that the Iconians know the prophets. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you, and you'll find them in many places, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. You can download or stream from the website. Many, many ways for you to get our shows, so we hope you enjoy all the different areas of the Trek universe that we explore. Matthew, we have had one new review in iTunes since the last time that we checked on that. And this is a review from Ryan123450, which I, I really hope is not his password. It, no, it's probably it just his luggage combination. <laughs> That's, yeah, probably. So make it easy on the TSA, right? 
<laughs> so uh, Ryan left us a five-star review in the U.S. iTunes store, and he says, A must-listen for the Trek-lit fan. I was so glad to have found this. I've been listening for several months now, and I love it. If you love Trek Lit, you have to listen to Literary Treks every week. Trek Lit news, interviews, and lots of Star Trek comic reviews. So I guess Ryan should be happy with this episode, right? We got back to comics for the first time in a while. He says, the best Star Trek podcast I've listened to. Keep up the good work, guys. So thanks so much, Ryan. And if, if you enjoy it, I do hope you're listening to some of the other shows on Trek FM as well. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, best Star Trek podcast. Uh, that's fantastic. I I really appreciate that the, the the time that people take to to rate us on iTunes uh, to to leave us a review to help other listeners find the show. That it is really really nice of them to do, and and you know we do it for you guys. And so thank you so much. Most definitely, yeah. If you have time to drop by, if you enjoy the show, just drop by. It takes, you know, a minute to leave a review. And we love to hear from you. And it also does help other people find the show because, you know, Star Trek literature podcast is not the easiest thing to come across in iTunes. So, <laughs> That's true. Uh, that does help people find it as they search for it. <laughs> All right. Well, Matthew, let's tell everyone how to contact us if they have other things that they would like to share with us. You can go to trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose literary treks, and that will come to us by email. You can also go to our forums at trek.afilm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the shows, books, comics, everything we talk about here. And also in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter, tweeting away all the time about Star Trek under username trekfm. Now, Matthew, when you're not, you know, building your own solar cell ship so you can take place in the next running of the Federation's biannual event. Where can people find you? Well, Chris, um, I'm not doing that. Uh, honestly, right now, I am tweeting a lot about Doctor Who. I'm just going to apologize to the fans on on following me right now on Matt Rushing Zero Two. Really into the Who, um, so doing that. Uh, but I talk Star Trek and just about anything else. So give me an at reply. Let me know you're following me. That's the best place to find me. Um, Chris, when you're not hanging out uh, in uh, 10 Forward trying to break up fights between two species that aren't Gorn but look just like Gorn, where can we find you? <laughs> well, you'll find me sitting at one of the tables there playing Pokemon card games. Oh, nice. Usually yeah. Barkley. Barkley likes to play Pokemon. He's a huge Pokemon fan. He, he's scared of grass type, though, for some reason. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> No, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, of course, Matthew, we do the orb together where we talk about Deep Space Nine. I also do the Ready Room with hosts from all over the network where we talk about all five live action series and Star Trek news. And then I do Warp 5 with Kate Walsh where we talk exclusively about Enterprise. So uh, those are all the places where you can find me. And also, Matthew, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to support our sponsors for this week's show. First, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create your own beautiful blog, website, portfolio, or, you know, your Bajoran spring wine shop like Matthew here with the incredible commerce feature. 
Create your own space today. Go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial and then use offer code TREK11 to save 10%. And don't forget to choose the annual plan to get that free custom domain registration as well. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks. And also, we'd like to introduce a new sponsor for Literary Treks, and that's audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and there are new titles coming out every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, or Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So support us. Give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books that you've yet to read. Join in us here, you know, as we review those in the future. And, you know, choose that latest novel from your favorite author, even if it's not Star Trek. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks. Plus, help us continue to bring literary treks to you each week by getting your alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. You'll find them at trek.film donate, and there are different levels of contributions that you can choose from, and you can mix and match if you want those as badges or art prints. And your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. So we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. Well, thank you everyone for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Wind <laughs> coming soon to a PDF reader near you. Soon to be a major motion picture directed by Joe Cornish. Oh, goodness. Uh. <laughs>